This is the Zen Nova Scotia podcast with talks by Cohn Franz. If you would like to support and be part of our community, you can start by visiting zennovascotia.com. I remember very well a day from probably almost 20 years ago now in Japan. I was walking uh, in Kumamoto City, and the rain was very much like the rain here today, maybe heavier, as it often is there. It was just pouring, and I didn't have an umbrella, and I didn't have a raincoat. I hadn't planned for it at all, and so I was just trying to make my way home. And I was crossing a, a major intersection, and coming this way was a much, much older woman, maybe in my memory of, of this moment, maybe in her 80s. And I was, you know, 21. And she stopped me. She was holding an umbrella. And she tried to give me her umbrella in the rain. And I, at that time, I barely spoke Japanese. And I was completely, and I was like, no, 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 you, no. And she's pushing it, and she's pushing it. And the you know, the, the crosswalk sign is starting to flash and we're running out of time and we're still standing in the middle of traffic and she grabs my hand and she wraps my hand around the umbrella and she just smiles and she keeps walking the way she was walking and I'm left there in the rain with this umbrella I'm left there with this gift and I feel that I'm still receiving this gift 20 years later. It was so generous. And it wasn't just generous. It was, it was so parental. And she seemed to take such joy in doing it. And I don't know if she walked for another minute to get home or if she walked for another half hour. But it was completely unacceptable weather. And I, at the time, I felt... I felt really badly. I felt that I had failed in this transaction, that somehow there must have been a way to refuse. But now, looking back, and, and of course having spent more time there as well, I see that the transaction went very, very well. I just wasn't ready for it. For the next four weeks, just because... The timing is good. I'd like to talk about one thing in four parts. It's a text called The Bodhisattva's Four Methods of Guidance. And this is from uh, Shobo Genzo, which is Dogen's masterwork. We haven't talked much about Dogen yet, but get ready. Uh, he'll keep coming up. So the title is The Bodhisattva's Four Methods of Guidance. And so before we even begin, we have to establish what a bodhisattva is. There's a traditional definition, uh, which is a person who... uh, having reached the 
the peak levels of spiritual attainment has the opportunity to ultimately step outside of the the cycle of birth and rebirth but decides not to foregoing that option so that every other being in the universe can go first a bodhisattva is someone standing at the door saying go ahead go ahead go ahead and as beautiful as that image is i think it's a little bit hard to make concrete because it it requires it requires a lot of faith in a lot of things right but we can also talk about a bodhisattva in a much more practical way and the way that i think of a bodhisattva is as someone who has completely let go of all attachment to tribalism tribalism being the idea of of my family my friends my city my nation my race whatever that is there is no my there is no sense for a bodhisattva that there is a group that is more important than another group that it could extend beyond that that doesn't mean that a bodhisattva has no family and no friends and no nation but that a bodhisattva does not imagine that those people are more important than someone else that is to say a bodhisattva is someone who prioritizes no one and everyone the benefit of all is the greatest benefit and anything that falls short of that indicates that there's work to do so a bodhisattva is someone who though they may be working at the convenience store or teaching fourth grade is seeing things in a very through a very wide lens and understands that this classroom and this gas station contain everything and can be the platform for serving everyone that's a bodhisattva a bodhisattva's four methods of guidance oh why do bodhisattvas guide there's a lot to be said about that but the easy answer maybe is that a bodhisattva's expression of his or her life if it's authentic is shocking to most people and represents a mode of living that most people do not see just that is more than a starting point we'll say more as we go about a bodhisattva and about guidance it's closer than we think The four methods of guidance are giving, 
kind speech, beneficial action, and the one that sounds a little odd, identity action. And I'll give away the punchline before I even start, which is that they're all the same thing. But I'm going to talk about them as if there are four. Today we talk about giving. And I'll read you just, I won't read you the whole passage that Dogen writes about it, but I'll give you a taste. He writes, giving means non-greed. Non-greed means not to covet. Not to covet means not to curry favor. Even if you govern the four continents, you should always convey the authentic path with non-greed. It is like giving away unneeded belongings to someone you don't know. It's the umbrella. Offering flowers blooming on a distant mountain to the Tathagata, to the Buddha. Or, again, offering treasures you had in your former life to sentient beings. That's really interesting. Whether it is of teaching or of material, each gift has its value and is worth giving. I'll say that one again. Whether it is of teaching or of material, each gift has its value and is worth giving. That is to say, there is no gift that is not worth giving. Even if the gift is not your own, there is no reason to abstain from giving. The question is not whether the gift is valuable, but whether there is genuine merit. Traditionally in Buddhism, we say that there are four levels of generosity. The first is uh, what we would usually associate with generosity, with giving, which is the giving of resources or the giving of time taking someone to the airport, offering them a sandwich, uh, donating to a cause. The second level of generosity, and the way this is structured, it, it suggests that you really should work on the first one first in order to even be capable of the next. The next one is protection. And this could be protection of of a person, it could be protection of an animal, it could be protection from uh, an environmental sense. It, it can be taking on that responsibility of holding something safe. The third level, and I, I spoke about this a little bit last year at, at the talks at the library, is fearlessness. This is a level of generosity. Simply being fearless is a gift, and it is a gift that you cultivate after you cultivate protection. And the fourth is the transmission of the Dharma itself. But what Dogen is describing here is a little bit different from these four. It's related. But he's talking about a level of giving that is at once universal and invisible. Not that it has to be, but he doesn't spend a lot of time on giving someone a sandwich. 
I think he assumes that that part is fairly obvious. He's asking us to consider this question in a much bigger way. So he says, even if the gift is not your own, there is no reason to abstain from giving. And just before that, he says, uh, it's like offering treasures you had in your former life. So we start with the things that we think are ours. The things to which we think we might have a claim. And that's why that example of the former life is so, so great. Right? Even if I know, let's imagine that I, that I had a former life, first of all, and that, I can, and that I know something about it, and that I happen to be fairly wealthy. Right? Even if I understand that I didn't get to keep that bank account, there is this sense that I can lay a claim to that. That this is somehow mine to offer. And so very early in this, he says, if you think it's yours, even if it doesn't make sense for you to think that it's yours, give it away. And then very quickly after that, he says, but even if the gift is not your own, there is still no reason not to give it away. I heard a wonderful talk by a a Tibetan teacher, and she was talking about her teacher uh, taking him to a a Safeway in Alaska. That's why I remember this story so well, because I, I lived in Alaska for a while. And that they had to just get something really, really quickly. And her teacher was much, much older than her, and she was responsible for him for that afternoon. And they went into Safeway, and she started charging toward the aisle where whatever it was, was. And she turned around, and he was gone. She had lost the Rinpoche in, in, the, in the Safeway. <laughs> And she starts, you know, scanning, looking for him. And she goes back and she finds him and he's standing at the door, at the automatic door. He's still right there. And he's, his arms are out and he's just looking at all of it. And she says, what are you doing? And he says, he says, I'm offering this to everybody. This huge supermarket. You can't just, you know, it's not a superpower. You don't just rush by all the cereal boxes and say, I give all this away, right? He wanted to do it right, and so he took a moment, and he absorbed this so that he could really offer it. That's beautiful. That's a beautiful way to go shopping. At that point, it doesn't matter whether your frame for this is that all of this is mine and I'm giving it away, or none of this is mine and I'm giving it away. It's that I'm giving it away. I'm pushing it like this in the hopes that someone might benefit 
In my house, we have two altars. We have one altar that, that looks like what you might expect with a little Buddha that, that uh, we've had for a long time. And, and that's the altar for the grown-ups. And then we have another altar that's for our kids. And the offerings are very different. The altar for the kids, our kids who are five and two, they put toys there. Sometimes they'll put food there. They'll put a favorite uh, shirt there. Uh, sometimes something I really like is that if they draw a picture or they, they cut something out, they'll put it there. And sometimes they forget and sometimes we forget. But, but what we've told them is that, is that if you have something really nice, because they're really, you know, everybody's into sharing. If you go to preschool, sharing is a big deal. And you know that sharing is kind of the ultimate good. I'll ask my daughter sometimes as, as she's falling asleep, what did you do today? And, and she'll say, I shared with my friends. You know, that's, that's an activity in itself for her. So we'll say, if, if you have something and if you want to share it with every other kid in the world, put it right here. Put it on this altar, just for a little bit. And so they do that. And then later they'll come by and they'll, they'll get it. Or they'll go outside and they'll find acorns. We get a lot of... The, the other kids in the world are getting a surplus of acorns. Um, and I don't know what this will mean for them, but, but right now it's actually very easy for them to grasp the idea that they can give something away without anyone actually receiving it. That that act is still a legitimate act. And then the next step, and what Dogen is talking about here, is giving something away without ever touching it at all. I'll read just a little bit more. He continues, When you leave, this starts to sound very Dogen-esque, by the way. When you leave the way to the way, you attain the way. At the time of attaining the way, the way is always left to the way. We have to just decide that we enjoy this. When you leave the way to the way, you attain the way. At the time of attaining the way, the way is always left to the way. Okay. When you leave something to itself, that's also an act of receiving. Okay. And what can we leave to itself? Everything. So here he's talking about yet another step in this giving. When it rains, you let it rain. You look out the window and you see the rain and you say, rain. You don't add to it. You don't say, oh, I wish it weren't raining today. You don't fall into a story about all the things that it means for you that it's raining today and all the problems that this causes you. 
Let it rain. When someone is telling you a really boring story, let them. There is such a world of difference between giving them that platform and suffering through it. Right? Catch in yourself the resistance that you feel towards something and flip it so that you decide that you can give a gift. He continues, when treasure is left just as treasure, treasure becomes giving. Today I got my kids home from school and it was raining so hard and I was trying to get them from the car to the door without getting soaked. But they don't move at the same speed that I do. And, and it doesn't occur to them that getting wet is a big problem. <laughs> So they go so slowly. My son, actually, he got out of the car and started trying to tell me a story. And we're standing. So much water is pouring down on our heads. And I'm trying to control this situation. And I'm saying, go, 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 go. And then I'm kind of getting away from them. And I say, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Right? I'm trying to herd these people. And all I'm doing is taking and taking and taking. And at the end of the day, they got to the door. They got to the door at the same time they would have gotten to the door, except with this whole other level of stress solely from their dad, not from anything else about that situation. That's the opposite of giving. And of course, we always notice these things right after we screw them up. Dogen writes, you give yourself to yourself and you give others to others. The power of the causal relations of giving reaches to devas, human beings, and even enlightened sages. When giving becomes actual, such causal relationships are immediately formed. which is to say that there is no separation. We talk a lot about non-separation, but he's, he's offering a key to experiencing it. Right. Going to the supermarket can be a very lonely experience, or it can be something done with literally everyone. We can go through our closets and we can go through our bank book and we can go through all of our lists and all of our drawers and we can try to sift through what is really ours and what is not really ours. And there's tremendous merit in doing that. But in a way, that's a distraction from seeing the thing that's right in front of us, which is that this thing that we call my life is not mine.
at the moment that I give it away, it reveals itself for what it is. And it reveals the fiction that I've been telling about it all this time. Dogen says elsewhere, he says, when you, when you open your hand, the Dharma fills it. But if you don't open your hand, you can't experience that. If you don't give away the things in the supermarket, you can't know what the supermarket is. And if you don't offer up your life, you can't know what your life is. It's in that moment of saying, here, that we can really see for the first time. And we can begin to act skillfully. Not just with good intentions, but skillfully. Next week I'll talk about kind speech, but I'll stop there. For more information about Zen, our practice, and how you can support and take part in our community, please visit zennovascotia.com.